Welcome to the sermon podcast for New Life Church's Cabot Campus. We are located at 3400 West Main Street in Cabot, Arkansas. Our service times are Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. To find more information about what we believe, upcoming events, and more, please visit newlifechurch.tv or you can text the word Cabot to 88000. I haven't met some of you. I've met a lot of new visitors, a lot of new people to our church. I'm thankful for that. Uh, We know that wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Wherever he's working, there's life. Uh, And wherever there's life, there's growth. Uh, We we recognize that he's the only one that can do that. Uh, But we're thankful for all the people that are giving us a try. Our flavor of church may be different than the flavor of church you're used to. And I will say that if you're here for a little bit and you're not feeling like this is the flavor of church that God's called you to, I would love for you to come and and let me know. And I know that that sounds weird, but I mean it. I know a lot of the churches around here. I know their pastors, I know their vision, and I know the flavor of church that they have. And what I would love to do is instead of you spending a season trying out a bunch of churches, if I could hear kind of where you're at and what you feel the Lord would be leading you to in this season, I'd much rather just get you directly connected to that church and to that flavor of church, even to that pastor, if you'd let me, uh, because what we're most interested in is people being connected to the body of Christ. That's the most important thing. And most of the pastors that I know in our city and community They're way less worried about the name on the front of their building and way more interested in building his kingdom. Uh, And so, uh, but if you are here and you are feeling led that the Lord would have you get connected here, uh, I encourage you to be all in. Uh, We're gonna have connect class actually right after this service. And uh, we've got a good amount of people signed up for that. It's kind of our membership class. But if you're here and you're interested in just finding out more about who we are, our values, a little bit of our history, maybe even a little bit of my testimony, some of our story, and uh, just to investigate. You come into the class, it's not you committing that you're gonna make New Life Church your church, but it would help you be informed. And if you're informed, then you can make a better decision that way. But I am very thankful for people that visit our church because I know it can be intimidating visiting churches. And I, I would guess that it's also intimidating to walk into a bigger church, especially you've been around churches that maybe were a little more tight-knit, a little smaller. But I want you to know that our services are not really what our church is all about. Our church is about the biblical community that happens Monday through Saturday. And that's where our life groups come in. That's where our serve groups come in. And, uh, And what I'll promise you is this, if you're open to it, and if you're willing, there is a tribe for you. There, are, there is a group of people that'll be there, really be there. Be there to encourage you, be there to challenge you, be there to help support you. Uh, we have people that have been in our church for a really long time and, and some people that have never gotten plugged into life groups and I don't know all the reasons why that is. It bums me out a little bit because I can tell that there's something that they have that we need and I feel pretty confident there's something we have that they need. But at the end of the day, I know that the Lord wants us to grow. 
He wants us to become fully devoted followers of Christ. And discipleship can't happen one service at a time. In order for you to grow, you're gonna have to understand that this is a lifestyle. There is sacrifice and investment that comes with you growing spiritually. And if you prioritize that, make that a part of your family, your family culture, where you say, we can have all these other things, but the number one priority is we're gonna become the people God's created us to be, be and build his kingdom the way he's asked us to build it. And if you will make that your priority, God will make a way and he will help you find the people that'll help you become that person. And I just wanna encourage you to do that. None of that was in my notes. That is all for free. Everything else I'm charging you for. I'm joking, I'm not really. But if you have your Bibles, Bible apps, we'll have it on the screens. I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 11. And this is the chapter that talks about the heroes of our faith. And the people that were heroes of the faith because they had faith, because they trusted. And today, specifically, I wanna to talk to you about Abraham. Abraham was called the father of our faith. Uh, he, he, was, he was called Father Abraham. There, there was a, a famous hymn written about him. Uh, how many of y'all remember singing Father Abraham? Okay, well, you all admitted it to it. Now I know who all is supposed to be singing with me because we're getting ready to sing it. Okay, so on the count of three, we're gonna sing Father Abraham, okay? And I wanna let you know that if I saw your hand up and when we start singing, I don't see you singing, I might come off the stage and put the mic in front of your face. And some of y'all got way too excited about that. I will not be putting the mic in front of your face. On the count of three, one, two, three. Father Abraham, and many sons had Father Abraham, and I am one of them, and so were you. So let's just praise the Lord. Gonna stop right there. Okay. The reason why we're stopping right there is because a lot of us in this room that are at a season and phase in our life where we can injure ourselves just by sleeping on the wrong pillow, okay? If we go through that whole song, I can guarantee you we will probably send a couple people to the hospital, and I, I don't wanna do that. But some of you have no idea what we're talking about, and I'm so glad that you're here, because, and I'm glad that you were spared a lot of those songs that we sang growing up, quite honestly. Uh, but that whole song, you know, the father of our faith, but I really, it didn't, I didn't put it together. I really didn't think about it this way until very recently, it's like, why do we do all that? We sing the song and then you put your right arm up and then you're just swinging your right arm and then you're swinging your left arm and then your, your right leg, your left leg and then you're turning around, you're getting dizzy and nauseous and, and then at the end you sit down. Uh, but I always thought like, you know, it's just weird, but, but think about it this way. How appropriate is it that a song about a man who had to live by faith would require you to do things that don't make sense. And that when God says, move your arm, you just move it. When God says, move your feet, you move. And Abraham, he lived his life that way. I think there's a lot that we can learn from him. Really, life is a series of tests. And in the life of Abraham, I think you can see four primary tests that we're gonna talk about. And this is actually what made him the father of our faith. These are four main tests of life that are only passed by having faith. The fact is you gotta be ready for a test. 
you have to be ready for a test. The problem is there's different kinds of tests. Even in sports, there's tests. You're either ready for it or you're not. Sometimes, though, you can be as prepared as you want to be, but there comes a point in it where you're going to have a gut check. You're just going to have to decide, like, am I going to push in? And am I going to leave it all out on the court, the field, whatever? You're going to have to make that decision, and that's the test. Then there's, like, the big test, the finals, like in school. I hated these. These are the ones that you just stay up for hours and hours and hours studying, trying to get ready. These are the tests, if I'm just being totally honest, these are the tests that I was always the most tempted to cheat on. How many of y'all would admit here in church, don't lie, how many of y'all would admit there'd been a time that you've been tempted or that you did cheat on the test? Come on, raise your hand, raise your hand. Don't lie in church, don't lie in church. Okay, I can't believe y'all did that. Can't believe, we got a bunch of heathen, cheating, God. No, I did. I didn't take tests well. Uh, I was, I unfortunately got really good at cheating from here and there because I hated tests. My favorite were the open book tests though, right? I mean, those are everybody's favorite teachers. It's like, yeah, they're awesome, you know? And open book tests are awesome as long as you know where to look in the book, you know? So you gotta be kind of familiar with that. But the worst, the worst are pop quizzes. They're just like, even saying pop quiz, some of y'all got anxiety right now. Like you just break out, your, your armpits start sweating. As soon as I said it, you start thinking about pop quizzes. Because you can't really always know how to prepare for those, except to try to read the information. Try to be aware of what it says, the best that you can. But the fact is, God wants you to pass his test, your faith will be tested in those and his tests almost always come in the form of a pop quiz. Why? That's what facilitates the most amount of trust. That's what facilitates the most amount of you just saying, okay, well, I'm gonna have to lean into him because I don't have all the answers. The first test is life changes, life changes. So let's go to our text, Hebrews 11, starting in verse eight. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place that he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations. Everybody say, that's heaven whose architect and builder is God. So this major test of life, major change. God asked Abraham to pick up everything that he had and move to another place. Another way to say it is the first major test is the where test, the where question. Where? God, where am I going? I'll tell you later. Okay, how long is it gonna take to get there? I'll let you know. How will I know when I get there? I'll let you know when we get there. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a miserable vacation, much less a miserable life. Like nobody wants to live like that. Like if I asked you guys to do that constantly, you'd probably have me tested for drugs. Like it's like, what, what? You just, what? Just, just go? 
The big question is, would you follow God like that? Would you follow God like that? Those major changes and transitions. And this was very difficult for Abraham, first of all, because he was 75 years old. So he's 75 years old, and he's starting to think about some things that he was going to retire from, you know? He's going to maybe pick up some camel riding or something, you know, get a little place down on the Sea of Galilee, do some fishing. Right when he's thinking about retiring from some things, God's like, oh, no, you're going to start some new stuff. You're going to go somewhere. Where? I'll tell you later. Okay. How do you respond in those transitions, in the where of life? Not only was he older, but he had a lot of possessions. He was pretty wealthy. Camels, cattle, sheep, a lot of people he had to move, but he picked up everything and he immediately began to move. Immediately. So you're gonna have the where question, the where test in life too. All of us have faced it at different points and there's things that are not quite as important, but can stress you out. Like, where's my locker? Where's, that, where's my first class again? Where am I gonna go to college? Where am I gonna work? As I grow older in life, where am I gonna retire? In my life, like every time I thought I knew where exactly I was gonna go, it's like God was sitting in heaven and he'd just laugh at me. Like, he's so silly. Like I thought coming out of high school, I thought I knew exactly where I was gonna go to school. I'd been accepted, I had scholarships, and I was gonna go to Abilene Christian University in Texas. That was my, that was my plan. Seemed like a great plan. And then I went to Colorado to visit my dad for the summer and was a counselor at the summer camp. And while I was there, I had four different people come and give me the same prophetic word. And that was that God wanted to use me to do great things, but that I needed training. And where I was planning on going to school was not where I could get that training. It wasn't a fun conversation calling up my mom and letting her know, hey, I'm giving up all my scholarships. I'm not gonna use any of them. What, why? I'm going to a different school. Where? Colorado. What school? You've never heard of it. Nobody has. It's tiny. It might be a cult. I don't really know, but it's where God told me to go. And then where was I gonna work? Because it became clear to me when I went through school and, and all that, that I was gonna work in full-time ministry. So I, thought, I thought, man, I wanna answer that call. But I didn't know that answering a call to work in ministry also meant that you weren't gonna have any money. And my first job in full-time ministry after Cody and I were newly married, I made 500 bucks a month. It's full-time. Couldn't hold another job, $500 a month. Her parents were thrilled. <laughs> like, so glad we gave our daughter to this loser. <laughs> but we just, we trusted. God eventually did provide. I will say this, no offense. When we knew that God was transitioning us out of the church that I'd worked at, one of the churches that I kind of grew up at there in Colorado Springs, 
We say, God, we're, you, we know that you're, you're stirring for us to go, to, to go somewhere. You're just gonna have to make it clear where we're supposed to go. And even in that season, we had job interviews, these, these churches and these cities that all of us would recognize. We even had an opportunity to go to Hong Kong to work for the YMCA in Hong Kong being their youth directors of all their summer programs. Like, that sounds amazing. What a cool adventure. But we never had a piece about any of those. And then one day I get introduced to Pastor Rick, our lead pastor. And he tells us about this vision to reach the state of Arkansas, partnering with other local churches, that we believe that God could move in such a way that Arkansas could be known as a Christian state. And we knew while hearing that vision that that's exactly where we were supposed to go. And so we went home and we got out an atlas <laughs> because we couldn't remember where Arkansas was. <laughs> that's where we're gonna go. Where is it? South of here. The wares can be scary. But what I have learned, man, is the most important thing is who. And if you can be faithful and obedient to the who that God has called you to, he'll work out the where and he'll work out the what. I'm so thankful that he called us to Arkansas. It wasn't on our radar. Arkansas? Okay. Still people, every time we tell them, we moved here from Colorado, they're like, what is wrong with you? What are, we love it. And then he moved us to Cabot, the booming metropolis of Cabot, Arkansas. And I'll tell you, this town looks a lot different now than it did 12 years ago. Way different. Like, Marshall's different. It's always had 46 banks and 56 Mexican food restaurants, but a lot of the other stuff, it's new, it's different. We just trust God with the where. Trust God with the where. Another test, waiting, waiting. Verse nine, by faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. There's a word in this verse, this passage, that happens twice, and it's the word promise. I want you to highlight that, circle that, because promise is a very important word in the vocabulary of faith. The question in this test is when? When? Because God said, I'm gonna give you the promised land. And Abraham wanted to know when. The fact is, not only did Abraham wait his entire life, but then Isaac waited his entire life and Jacob waited his entire life before the promise actually came to pass. Three generations of people an entire nation that was growing and expanding lived in tents for three generations. 
I don't know how many of you have never slept in a tent, but I would guess that those of you that have slept in a tent, I would guess it wasn't for multiple days at a time. Okay, now I know some of our military people, you stayed in tents when you were deployed, okay? But those are pretty nice tents, relatively speaking, right? Like, I'm talking like, like little tiny tent where you don't, you don't have anything really except a sleeping bag and a pad. I have slept in tents for long periods of time, sometimes way longer than I wanted to. And I will say this, at one point or another, it loses its intrigue. It's not fun anymore. There can be some really beautiful nights, but there's also storms. And I'll tell you, when really bad storms hit and you're having to live in a tent, it gets pretty miserable pretty quick. We took our kids camping one time up by Heber Springs, and while we were there, the one night the tornado sirens are going off across the lake. There's a huge storm moving our way. And we're like, well, I mean, we can't really get out quick enough. So we just kind of buckled down. Cody and I were over in one tent. We put our kids in, the, in a tent next to us. And the storm hit, and it started to rain so hard, so hard. But if you've ever been camping, you've been in a tent, especially if it's cold outside and you're in your sleeping bag, and you're just like, man, the last thing I want to do is get out of this right now. I don't, I don't want to get up. I don't want to do this. But we felt kind of bad because the kids were in the cheap tent. <laughs> we were in the nice tent. And so we got up, we went over there, and when we opened the door in the tent, a river was running through the middle of the tent. The kids' sleeping pads had become little boats that they're floating around in in the middle of the tent. And they didn't look like they were having fun. I don't think they were. Imagine living in tents for three generations. Imagine how Sarah felt about this. Like, hey, Abe, baby, sweetheart, when are we gonna get an actual house? When am I gonna be able to settle down, make a nest? When? When is this gonna happen? When are we gonna be stable? The thing is, I can handle tests in life if I know there's gonna be an end to that test. I can handle tests in life, especially if I know when the end is gonna be. It's like, that's, I, I can do that. What's really, really challenging is when you hit a test of waiting and you don't know when it's gonna end. That will test your faith. And you never know how long it's gonna be. And the fact is, our culture, Americans, we stink at waiting. We are horrible at waiting. You learn this when you go to other places, like time is relative. It's like, relationships are everything. Nobody pays attention to the time. So if you're in a foreign country, a developing nation, a lot of times they'll say, when's dinner? It's around six. They mean around. Like within hours of that time frame, it'll happen somewhere in there. But here, man, we're very, very driven by our schedules. And I'm not patient either. Just being honest, patience is one of the fruit of the Spirit that I definitely can struggle in. One of the worst things for me is when I'm in a drive-through lane. You get in a drive-through lane and they build those things to box you in. 
They build those things to where once you've ordered, you're trapped. But it's the worst thing in the world when you order something, but somebody's high maintenance apparently in front of you. And, and so it's just taking forever, forever. And at one point or another, like, I can't even wait here. I can't wait here anymore. I gotta go. But you're boxed, you're boxed in. This is one of the reasons why I know that Chick-fil-A is anointed by God because they understand this dynamic. They understand how to get people through before they lose their salvation, before they start manifesting demons everywhere. But the fact of the matter is, I drive a Jeep and I, I wish I could say that I take my Jeep in the woods in the high country all the time, but I don't as much as I'd like to. But I will say that one of the reasons why I drive a Jeep is I am never stuck in a drive-through lane. I can get out of that lane, I promise you. I will just go right up and over the curb if I have to, but I don't like to wait. Most of us don't. But isn't that always the temptation? In a much more serious waiting period, when I don't know when it's gonna happen, so I search out the quickest way to meet my need the way I think it needs to be met. One of the worst things that can happen to you is when you get what you've been praying for, but from a different source than from God. Those are always counterfeits. They will always get you in trouble. Typically they don't last. The fact is, even though it's not in this passage of scripture, there was a counterfeit that Abraham and Sarah got trying to make this promise happen on their own timing. His name was Ishmael. And you can study through the history if you'd like to, but I just wanna promise you this, that created a train wreck. So Isaac was the promised, the one that was different, the one that was set aside, but they didn't know when Isaac was gonna come. It didn't make sense. But if you are in a waiting period of life, I want you to know that you are in great company. Moses waited 80 years before God allowed him to step into his ministry. It took Noah 120 years to build the ark, to build a boat, to build something that no one even had context for. 120 years. Lazarus, he waited, he was dead for days. I'm sure at one point or another, he's like, Lord, I'm really starting to stink over here. Like, when are you gonna do this thing? Probably not, because he was dead. But anyway, I thought that was interesting. Test number three, impossibility. It's impossible. Verse 11, and by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was able to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he, as good as dead, I love that part in it. It's like, how would you like to be told that? Man, you look like you're as good as dead. Came as descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Abraham was 99 years old and he still didn't have a kid. And God says, you're gonna be the father of a great nation. In fact, you already gave him the name father of many nations. How embarrassing was that? How embarrassing was that? That'd be like everybody calling me gentle and quiet. Very ironic, not the truth. But imagine Abraham. Hey man, what's your name? Uh, father of many nations. Wow. 
So how many kids you got? None. Oh, well, how old are you? 99? Okay. Abraham's like, I got 99 problems and a kid ain't one of them. Like, <laughs> it's an impossible problem. It's physically impossible. Sarah had already gone through menopause. The Bible says, uh, God, or God says, you're going to have a child. You're going to have a child. They both laughed. They laughed. In fact, they laughed so much that when Isaac came, Isaac means laughter. They named him what they did when God told them they were going to have him. The Bible said Abraham looked at himself and said, no way. Sarah looked at her body and said, no way. Abraham laughed and Sarah laughed, but God had the last laugh. And he fulfilled his promise. This is the how test. How, not when, not where, not how, but, but not where, but how. How are you gonna do it, Lord? This seems impossible. Well, throughout history, we know that there's been some of these crazy exceptions where people are able to have kids much later in life than you're supposed to. A lady named Alita James had twins at 57 years old through, a medical, through medical science. Another man named Ramjit Rehab, his name, uh, he was 97, supposedly, when he had a kid, but Maury Povic was never able to validate and prove that that was actually his child, so we don't know for sure. And I'm actually more proud of the people that aren't laughing at that joke because it means you haven't watched that trash. Impossible problems are the hows of life. God, how am I gonna meet in, uh, make ends meet? How am I going to put my kids through college? I'm wondering that. God, how are you going to heal me? God, how am I going to step into my ministry, my calling? God, how are you going to change my wife, husband, child, boss? I think a major key to faith is believe for a miracle, even when you haven't figured out how it's going to happen. And then ultimately trust God for the outcome. But believe, the fourth test, pain. Not when, not where, not how. This is the why question. Why is this happening? And I find that it's the ultimate test. Abraham faced it, you'll face it too. The fact is we live in a world where a lot of things happen that just don't make sense. And I've heard it said many times, I've said it, and I'm sure you have too, it's not fair. The fact is, no one said it would ever be fair. In fact, God never said it would be fair. Why? Why? You can imagine that's a question I get a lot as a pastor. For a lot of different reasons, I'd say probably the primary area that I had this question asked is when someone loses a loved one, especially when it was unexpected. Why? Um, I would be a fool to suggest that I know all those reasons. And usually I just lean into the promises of God. That in spite of why, he promises good. And I know that I can wait with anticipation for the good, even though I don't always understand the why. But I think clearly the why does fall into really four, 
primary categories. The first category is free will. God gave us the ability to make decisions. He would not be a loving God if we didn't have that ability. The fact is, because we have the ability to make choices, sometimes we make choices that have consequences. So sometimes the reason why we're dealing with something we're dealing is because there were choices that led up to that season. What happened? That's why. There's also natural law, things like gravity. Don't go jump off of a building, break your legs and blame it on God or say the devil did it. No, gravity works. God set it in motion. If you test it, you pay the consequences. The fact is the enemy does have some authority. Really, he has the amount of authority that we give him, that our sin allows him. But there is not a demon under every rock and we cannot blame the devil for everything that happens. When you didn't get the parking spot that you wanted at Walmart, it wasn't the devil. Things happen, but sometimes the devil does have influence. He is working. And then sometimes God allows things to happen, which is a tough one to swallow because why would he allow it? Well, that's exactly what Abraham and Sarah had to walk through. Why? Why would you do this? Isaac was the miracle baby, the promised child, the one in whom all of Abraham's hopes and dreams were gonna be fulfilled through this child. And God says, I want you to sacrifice him. I want you to kill him. He's the one I want you to put to death. But he represented everything to Abraham. By the way, even though Abraham didn't know it, we can know now by looking at this, that this whole situation was like a picture and a foreshadowing of Jesus. Jesus being the only son, all hopes and dreams were gonna rest on him. Because of him, we were gonna be able to worship the way we can worship now. But Abraham can't see all that. He doesn't know that. He doesn't have the full context that we have. But our typical response to this story so what happens here is that's not fair. It might even be shocking. Like, isn't that murder? It doesn't sound very Christian-like. Verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did not, he did receive Isaac back from death. What Abraham was able to do is he was able to reason in that why with faith over emotion. He was able to reason with faith over feeling. Abraham didn't know what God was like, like we do now. 
He didn't know the nature of God. He didn't even, he didn't know, he'd never seen Jesus. He wasn't filled with his spirit. He didn't know that God was loving and compassionate. He just knew that God was saying, kill your son. The crazy thing is he didn't even hesitate. He wasn't like, ah, kill the kid, don't kill the kid, which sounds like every parent that's had to raise a teenager at one point or another, you know. But it didn't make sense. It's a test. It's a test of commitment and trust. But look how Abraham does reason with faith. In verse 19, again, Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. Abraham had dead-raising faith. Abraham said, no matter what happens, I'm trusting God. He learned that by walking through seasons. He learned that by walking through the where, the how. He learned it. Some of you are going through the why test in your life. Why God? Why did I get fired? Why did you let my spouse leave me? Why did my kid run off and get hooked on drugs? Why am I going bankrupt? Why did I have a miscarriage? Why did my parents die? Why did my child die? Why did that accident happen? It's senseless, it's tragic. And I want you to know that God can handle your why. And I want you to know that it's okay to ask why. And the fact is, God knows you better than you know yourself. So in your most passionate, broken seasons of why, he can handle your screams, he can handle your yells, he can handle your cussing, he can handle your anger as you bring your why to him. But ultimately where he wants us to go is he wants us to be honest and real and sincere with our why. But then take all of that and bring it before him and say, but I'm gonna trust you. I'm gonna trust you. I'm gonna trust you. Because your word says you work all things for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. I don't know when your good is going to come, but it's gonna come. And your good will always be better than my ability to understand all the why. I'm just gonna trust you. I'm gonna trust you. I'm gonna lean into your presence. I'm gonna lean into your word. The best advice I can give you with all these things your plans, your where, your how, all those things. Have a plan, live life with a plan, but hold every plan in an open hand before the Lord. Hold everything that you hold dear, everything that you think is the most important thing. God gave those things to you. God gave you your children. God gave you relationships. God gave you your job. God gave you your career. God gave you your home. God gave you everything that we have has only come from him. And we can be thankful but the way that we steward it, the way that he's called us and asked us to steward it is not to hold it like it's ours. 
It's to hold it with an open hand and say, God, I'm gonna be faithful with this, but I'm gonna trust you at any given point that if you need to take something out of this hand, I'm gonna trust you if you need to take it. God, if you need to reshape something that's in this hand, I'm gonna trust you to reshape it. Whatever it is, I'm gonna carry it, I'm gonna be faithful with it, but I'm gonna trust you with it. Do with it whatever you need to do. And I'll promise you in that place, there is a peace that transcends understanding. There is joy unspeakable. There is mercy that is new every morning. There are supernatural attributes of God that we don't truly get to experience if we live life trying to control all the questions. We walk through the tests and we trust God that he's gonna give us the answers in due time. And sometimes due time may not happen till we stand in heaven. Can we trust him no matter what? God, I trust you with this because you see perfectly. You see eternally. You're good. You're good. Even if you're good. Even when you're good. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. Which tests are you and your family going through? I don't know it, but I know the Lord knows it. I'm not saying he's orchestrated it, but he wants to use it. And at the end of the day, regardless of why things happen, the fact is there are two people that are very passionate about you that wanna use the things that happen in your life. God wants to use it and the enemy wants to use it. God passionately wants to use it to reveal himself to you, for you to dig deep roots that are grounded and confident, an identity in Christ that's unshakable. God passionately wants to bring himself glory because when he gets the glory, we get the blessing. But the enemy also passionately wants to use it and he passionately wants to kill, steal, and destroy your life. So whatever test that you're in right now, you get to choose who uses it. Lean in to the presence of God. Lean in. Trust that his faithfulness will make up for where our faith isn't measuring up. Some of you, you feel completely disconnected from that kind of a God, from that father, from that kind of a relationship where you can trust in his faithfulness. The fact is, with his faithfulness, there is peace, there is joy, there is hope. Without it, you don't have any of those things. And I would guess that there's at least a couple people here today that right now, you sit in that chair, you're lacking hope, you're lacking peace, you're lacking what it means to truly have joy. 
you're lacking feeling that that there's someone that's bigger than it all that truly loves you and sees you that has good things for you that has a plan and a purpose but you feel disconnected from that and it may be because you don't have a genuine relationship with the Lord it may be that you've never surrendered to him you've never come to him and said you know what I want to have a relationship, but I know that the only way I can do that is through Jesus because he paid the price for my sin. And the fact is we've all sinned and our sin separates us from a holy God. And until we surrender to the one who paid the price and repent and turn towards him, then we can't have that relationship. And if you're here today and you know you need to do that because the Lord He's been drawing you. He's been speaking to you. But right now, he's making it very clear that this can be your time and this can be your moment right here where you make the decision where you're going to fully surrender to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And if that's you, I want to give you an opportunity. I want to pray with you. I'm just going to ask you to be bold enough to do what the Word asks us to do, and that is just admit it, confess it, confess that you need it. And if that's you, I want you to put your hand up right now across this room. I need to call on Jesus right now as my Lord and Savior. As soon as I see you, you can put your hand down. Yes, ma'am. Thank you so much. Thank you. I see you back there. Yes, ma'am. Yes. Yes, sir. I got you, bro. Anyone else? I know I need to surrender to him. I'm tired of playing games. I don't want to just go through the motions. Got you, bro. I don't want to do just do the church thing. I want to know what it's really about. I want to have a relationship with my heavenly father. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. I'm ready to fully surrender. I felt like I was at some point, but right now I feel distant from him. I got you, bro. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Anyone else? I'm ready to call on Jesus. I need to surrender my life to him. Someone's just wrestling with it big time. And I want you to know that God loves you. He's very patient. He wants you to have this opportunity. So as someone that can be really stubborn too, I just want to encourage you. God wants to use that stubbornness. He wants to use it for his kingdom, for his glory, for a purpose that's greater than you could ever imagine. But you've got to submit it to him first. You've got to submit your life to him first. Anyone else? I need to call on him. I'm ready to surrender to him as my Lord and Savior. Okay. Father God, thank you for being here. For being here for all of us, especially for every person that just raised that hand. Lord, we know that it's not the raising of their hand that gets them saved what you did on the cross. So it gives us salvation. But God, they're confessing it. They're admitting to you. I do want to encourage you. The word says, if you will confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Christ was raised from the dead, then you can be saved. So you're doing it in this room, but you need to go public with this. You can make a personal decision 
but your faith is never meant to be private. It's meant to be public. God's called all of us to be salt and light to the world around us. A great way to declare you're a follower of Christ is through water baptism. We'll have an opportunity this next week. But I encourage you to tell somebody as soon as the service is over that you surrendered your life to him. But let's tell him right now. If you raise your hand, I just want you to say a prayer like this. Say, Jesus, I need you. I confess that I'm a sinner. I recognize that my sin separates me from a holy God. But I believe that you sent your only son, Jesus, to die on the cross to pay the price for my sin. And I ask for your forgiveness for my sin. I believe that you rose from the grave, defeating sin so that I can walk in freedom. I know that I'll still make mistakes, but God, I thank you that because of who you are, I can come to you every time. God, I pray that you would empower me by your grace and by your love to live the life that you've called me to live. Lord, I thank you for the hope of heaven. I thank you that I get to spend eternity there with you, but I wanna live the life that you've called me to live now. I don't wanna miss out on one more moment. I wanna live for you. So I surrender my life. I repent. I turn away from doing what I wanna do. I turn away from living the way the world wants me to live and I wanna live for you for the rest of my days. I surrender to you, Jesus. Father, I thank you for new life in you. I thank you for salvation. I thank you for the hope of heaven. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did for all of us on the cross. God, I pray that every person that just made that decision, that you would help us to come alongside of them, to disciple them so they can grow and become mature in you but we give you all the glory for their lives and what you've done in them today. In Jesus' name, amen.